seated. The reading this morning is from the book of John, beginning at chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told him that he had said these things to her. This is the Gospel of Christ. He is risen. He is risen. Thank you for saying that. Um, he is risen indeed. Uh, let me add my welcome to Jeff's. It's very good to have you here this morning at St Stephen's, whether you're a regular or a newcomer. It's fantastic that you can be with us today on this wonderful uh, of days, the day when we remember he is risen. And just before we do anything else, we should just, I don't think we paused and looked at how good the cross is. I love the change. Don't you think it's incredible? That thing that was so bare and empty before, now filled with colour and shapes and sizes and I was going to name names but I don't know what any of those flowers are. <laughs> uh, thank you very much by the way for not having a serious accident down the front. Every Easter as that goes on I just, oh, I think there's going to be, I mean I care about people's health but it's more the red tape that will happen if something goes wrong. And this morning we put a table here so no one would walk in between this and I see a child walk over. And I think to myself, what, produ what kind of parenting produces that? 
and then I notice it's my daughter. <laughs> Thank you, Molly. Anyway, we survived. Uh, other people that are surviving at the moment, which is great, is Easter Camp. So for all of you that are parents who've got children at Easter Camp with the St. Stephen's group, I'm very pleased to be able to say that um, um, Molly and Laura and I went out there yesterday. We saw them. They're all healthy. I was going to say they're all well. They're all healthy. Um, I don't think a huge amount of sleep has happened, but um, apart from... Uh, Miriam Crowther didn't look too well, actually, but uh, the rest of them looked fairly upbeat. They had some kind of... That when I was there, they um, they had a fashion show. So they were bro broke into groups, the St. Stephen's crew. They went to the op shop tent. They were allowed to spend like two bucks. Each group had to come back, dress one person in the group, and then they had to um, uh, come out. A backstory was given for them, some very elaborate backstories. One of them was a Russian uh, speed, no, figure skater, whose parents had died in a fire in the home, and anyway, and then they had to do a, a modelling of it and a twirl, and they were marked on different things. Anyway, you can hear they're bonkers, but they're all well. They're all, they're all good. Let me pray, and then we'll we'll spend a few moments thinking about the great news that is um, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the great privilege and joy it is to gather with so many people today, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to remember that He is risen. And I pray that you would be with us now as we spend a few moments just thinking about that wonderful truth, what it means. Yeah, for so many of us, during the, the normal, everyday life and existence that we have, we may not think much about the fact that Jesus is risen. Please now, as we spend some time thinking about it, let the wonderful truth of it impact our head, our heart, our minds, our lives. Father, we thank you this morning that he is risen. And we thank you because of that, everything has changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I made a decision when I was first ordained, so that was um, uh, probably about 14, nearly 15 years ago, that uh, every, every five years at Easter, I would speak about a gentleman called Simon Ben Kaseba. And uh, I've done that. I've been at St. Stephen's nearly 12 years. Six years ago was the last time I spoke about uh, Simon ben Kaseba, but I'd like to speak about him again. He's sometimes known as Simon Bar Kokhba, but that's harder to say. So I call him Simon ben Kaseba. Well, it's also his name, but he's known in different ways. And I do it, I like to speak about this guy because by remembering Simon, it shows the extraordinary power and difference that the resurrection of Jesus makes. Uh, the first time I spoke about Simon ben Kaseba, I asked St. Stephen's whether anyone had ever heard of him. No one put their hand up. No one made any notice. If you're sitting there going, well, I did know. No, you didn't. You didn't know. Simon ben Kaseba, no one... You may be sitting there this morning and go, who the heck is Simon ben Kaseba? So let me introduce Simon ben Kaseba to you. He was a Jew who lived about 100 years after Jesus. And in the year 135 AD... The Romans, who still occupied Judea at that time, finally defeated this guy, Simon ben Kaseba, a man who'd been leading Jewish rebellion against the Romans for three years. Kaseba was championed as the Messiah by the Jews of his day. Now remember, Messiah or Christ, that's the same word. Messiah is the Hebrew, Christ is the Greek. And what that word meant was it spoke of a figure, a person prophesied in the Old Testament who would come and rescue God's people, would be God's promised king, and would rule God's people forever. And so the Jews were always on the lookout for the Messiah. They were always on the lookout for the Christ. 
Well, Kasiba was championed as the Messiah by the Jews of his day, and he claimed that for himself. He said he was the Messiah, and he worked to rescue God's people, the Jews, from the Roman Empire. In the three years before his defeat, everyone in that area knew who he was, and everyone knew what he'd done. Even today, we have coins printed at the time which were inscribed on one side with Simon, Prince of Israel, that's talking about him being the Messiah or the Christ, and on the other side, year one or year two of the redemption of Israel. We've got copies of letters that he wrote to other rebel leaders because for three years he orchestrated attacks and civil disobedience against the Romans to such an extent that it got the attention of the emperor of the Roman Empire at that time, Hadrian. And Hadrian actually dispatched his most senior and experienced generals because they couldn't get Simon ben Kaseba under, uh, under control. And it was actually the first time in 100 years that the Romans didn't have uh, the authority to look after the rest of the empire because they were having to look after this one little troubling province in Judea. In fact, it wasn't until Hadrian himself... Have a think about how often it was when the Roman emperor had to go and sort out a problem. It wasn't until Hadrian himself went to Judea, Judea to be involved that they were successful in defeating Simon ben Kaseba. Over the time of his rebellion, the Romans, in retaliation to what he'd done, killed over half a million Jews. Fifty fortresses were destroyed during this time. Nearly a thousand villages in Judea were totally razed, completely, not razed, R-A-I-S, raised up, razed as in completely demolished and leveled. That is historical fact. Simon ben Kaseba was a huge historical figure. He was called the Messiah in his lifetime. He was involved in the life and death of a staggering number of people and able to cause the personal involvement of the most powerful man in the world. That was the only person who could stop him. And yet, probably none of us had heard of him this morning until now. In fact, Simon ben Kaseba is one of many men who've been called the Messiah in their lifetime, been called the Christ in their lifetime. Simon ben Kaseba and others were all believed to have been the, the Messiah or Christ in their lifetimes. But in the end, they died. In the end, they failed. In the end, they lost. And so, of course, their claim to be the Messiah was seen to be false. Didn't matter how much they'd achieved in their lifetimes, how much influence they'd had, how many followers they'd raised or anything else, their death showed their failure. Because part of the brief, part of the bio of the Messiah or the Christ from the Old Testament was victory. Total victory. Actually, everlasting victory. The Messiah was prophesied as being God's promised rescuer who would rule forever. And so one by one, as Simon ben Kaseba and other possible candidates died in failure, they've almost totally disappeared from the knowledge of people. They're kept alive only by historians or archaeologists or Wikipedia pages whose job is to know such things. Except for one. Only one person is different from all the others. Jesus alone continues to be thought by many in this world, even after his death, to be the Messiah, to be the Christ. In fact, people from all areas of the world today believe despite the fact he died, despite the fact he had a very public execution in front of a lot of eyes, that he died. 
that despite that, his claims to be the Messiah and Christ are true. And there's only one reason why that is. Because of what we remember today. Because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what we remember on this particular day, that Jesus defeated death, that he came back to life. Without it, the Christian faith makes no sense. If it didn't happen, Christianity has nothing to offer. We may as well worship Simon ben Kaseba or any other failed figure. And when we say resurrection, I want to be clear what I mean, because sometimes this is, this is fudged or there are different things meant in Christian circles. What I mean when I say resurrection is the Christian claim has always been that Jesus died physically and rose back to life physically, never to die again. That he has conquered death and risen with a new glorious resurrection body. That's what the scriptures teach us. And one day all who trust in him will also have a wonderful glorious resurrection body. I can't wait. But a lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people are very sceptical of that. Many people down through the ages have said, well, you can't, you can't believe the Christian claim of resurrection, can you? And the objection to the resurrection of Jesus is obvious. Dead people don't rise from the dead. Resurrection doesn't happen in that way. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the resurrection of Jesus, rather than being far-fetched, the resurrection of Jesus, rather than being implausible, the resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that makes sense of what happened at that first Easter. Let me explain what I mean. The questions that people always raise about the resurrection of Jesus and the, the questions over, over Easter are always aimed at the fact that Jesus died. Everyone agrees with that. But what happened to him? Why, why was there an empty tomb where Jesus had been buried? Jesus died. That's undisputable. The Jesus who taught in such amazing ways, who'd performed all the public miracles, who'd exercised demons and got huge amounts of followers, who'd turned towns upside downs, he had been publicly executed. He'd been crucified in front of everyone. Then he was put in a tomb of a very prominent man, Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And yet three days later, as we heard in the reading that Karen brought us, as Mary and then Peter and John travelled to the tomb, they found it empty. How? What had happened? I want to give you the three main excuses that people try to use to explain the empty tomb and show that in the end, it just doesn't make sense of what happened. It doesn't give an answer for the resurrection. The first excuse that people use to try and explain away the empty tomb is that the disciples of Jesus stole his body. In fact, that's not only the, the kind of biggest reason that people kind of give for the empty tomb, it's the oldest explanation as to why the tomb was empty. Because if you read through Matthew's account, Matthew's gospel of it, we see that in chapter 28, this was the earliest explanation given. The Jewish leaders, in an attempt to explain the empty tomb, accused the disciples of stealing the body of Jesus and hiding it. But how would they have done that? How did they get past the guards, roll the stone away and steal the body? Especially in the state they were in. Do you remember what the disciples of Jesus were like after he died? 
when they'd seen their beloved leader go to their death, the one they believed was all-powerful and who had a huge authority, they'd seen him die, they were scared, they were frightened, they were dejected. They were meeting behind locked doors because they were so scared that they were going to get into trouble. Are these the kind of people who could have done a mission impossible act like stealing the body of Jesus? And even if they had been able to do it, what explained the change in them? What changed those people from being timid, scared people meeting behind locked doors and fear for their own life to people who went out boldly declaring that Jesus had been raised from the dead without fear and in most cases going to their death for that message? What changed if they hadn't seen the risen Jesus? Or if they knew that it was a fraud because they'd stolen the body? It doesn't add up. The disciples didn't steal the body. It doesn't answer any of the questions. In fact, it provokes more. Second excuse that people sometimes use for the empty tomb is that the authorities moved the body. Either the Jewish or the Roman, or a combination of both could have moved it. And the reasoning here goes that the Jewish leaders or the Roman leaders, knowing the kind of fanatical support that this Jesus had, that they moved Jesus' body to stop anything else happening and to stop all the interest in him now that he was dead. And so when the women and the disciples came to the tomb, they found it empty because the authorities had moved it. Now, that, that sounds plausible at first, but again, as soon as you start thinking on it properly, it just doesn't stack up. As soon as the disciples of Jesus had gone to the tomb, found it empty, and wrongly thought Jesus was risen from the dead, that was the moment <clears throat> excuse me, that they went out even more boldly proclaiming that Jesus had risen. This was when Christianity exploded. This was when it got even more big and popular. And the authorities would have got, therefore, more nervous. What do you think the authorities would have done if they'd moved the body and Christianity is now exploding more than ever? They would have produced the body. I imagine they would have done it, this is what I would have done if I was the authority, I would have done it as publicly as possible to make the biggest statement if I'm the authorities. I would have brought the body of Jesus, I would have hidden it, I would have brought it into Jerusalem at the busiest part of the day, on the busiest day of the year when all of them are around. I would have waited for the disciples to get telling everyone that Jesus is risen, Jesus is risen, and then I would have brought out the body. Boom. End of Christianity. End of the movement. It's all gone. Explain that. But, of course, the authorities couldn't produce the body because they didn't move it. They didn't have it. Uh, this, is also the ex this proves that the other excuse that people sometimes try to use, that maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Perhaps they did. We can all go to the wrong tomb, can't we? And back then it would have been even harder without roads and signposts. If they'd gone to the wrong tomb, the authorities would have produced the body of Jesus. The third excuse that people use is that the tomb was empty because Jesus didn't really die on the cross. You may have heard me call it the swoon theory before. So you can understand it again, can't you? In a day when medical technology was nowhere near today's, people just wrongly assumed he died. Maybe he passed out. Maybe he stopped breathing for a bit. And so they wrapped him up, placed him in the tomb, and then in the cool of the tomb, out of the sun, un unnailed from the cross, kind of in the cool of the tomb, he came round. He got up and people thought that he'd risen from the dead. And he let people think that he'd risen from the dead. Again, you may think there's some plausibility to that until you really think about it. Now, one thing to bear in mind with this uh, option is you've got to remember the Roman executioners were experts in this business. They killed professionally. More than that, they were punished if they made mistakes. 
Very unlikely that the Roman executioners made a mistake here. In fact, the Bible actually tells us they were surprised that Jesus died so quickly, which I think makes it very likely they checked him all the more. What? He's dead already? Have another check. But let's just say they did make a mistake just this once. Mistakes can happen anywhere. How in his physical condition? Because remember, even if he hasn't died, he's been tortured. He's been beaten. He's been nailed to a cross. How in this state did he manage to get out of tightly bound grave clothes, move the stone at the mouth of the tomb, evade the guards, and more than that, even if he could do all that, how in his physical state did he convince people he was raised in a new glorious resurrection body? If I go for a 2K walk, my family can tell. I'm limping around. I'm letting everyone know the aches and pains I'm feeling. And how did Jesus convince anyone? At no point, do you see, do any of the alternative explanations provide any answers. And we haven't even looked at the less likely ones, the excuses of mass hallucination and those kind of things. None of them stack up. The only possibility that stands scrutiny The only answer that makes sense of all the evidence and the data, the only explanation that works is he is risen. That's what turned the scared disciples into people who turned the world upside down and changed human history. That's what made Saul, who'd been an enemy of Christians, become Paul, who took the good news of Jesus out to more people than anyone else in the history of the world. They talked to Jesus. They touched Jesus. They ate with him. Imagine what you'd do if you'd seen him defeat death and you saw him before you. That would inspire you and encourage you and change your life, and you would live for that. Friends, without the resurrection... Jesus is just another voice in a world full of voices. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another prophet in a world full of prophets. He's just another idealist with some wise insights into life. He's just another failed Messiah. He's not someone to live for and base your life around. Paul said that. The Paul whose life was changed when he met the risen Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, very strong verses, he says, if the resurrection didn't take place, all Christian preaching is worthless. He says all Christian faith is useless. He says the apostles are liars. He says we're still in our sins because Jesus' sacrifice didn't work. He says the people who've died in Christ are lost. And then he says Christians are to be pitied more than all people. Because we believe a lie. That's what Paul says. But he is risen. He is risen. Therefore our preaching is powerful. Therefore our faith saves us. Therefore the apostles are faithful, reliable witnesses. Therefore our sins have been forgiven. The resurrection proves it. Therefore those who've died in Christ are with him now, even as we speak, and one day they will be risen with with resurrection glorious bodies as well. We've lost some very loved brothers and sisters in Christ in the last year here at St. Stephen's, but he is risen, and that changes everything. The resurrection shows that Jesus conquered death. It shows that his death was a successful sacrifice for our sins. And we are now forgiven sons and daughters of the Almighty God. It shows us that one day we too will rise. Death is not the end. 
By 135 AD, Simon ben had achieved more in three years of life as being thought of as the the Messiah than Jesus ever did. Jesus, as far as we know, didn't mint any coins. He didn't write any letters that have survived. He didn't raise an army. He certainly didn't have half a million people die during his lifetime on his behalf. ben achieved more in his life, but he died and failed. Jesus achieved more in his death because in his death he defeated sin. Then three days later he smashed the shackles of death as he rose from the dead and people have worshipped him ever since. Do you? Do you worship the one who is risen? Because he's the true Messiah, the one who will rule eternally. He is risen. Alleluia. He is risen indeed. To help us think on that, I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward and they're going to play an item.